Good afternoon, everyone. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 56, verse 7. Book of Isaiah, chapter 56, verse 7. I will be reading from the ESV version. If you can please rise with me for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. This is the word of the Lord. So we are on our second week of our prayer series. And there's a camera recording me. And uh, we're, we're testing out some new equipment. So I thought, oh, I should be more professional, no more jokes. <laughs> That's the second half. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <clears throat> but it is it's for testing purposes, just so you know. Um, and in the second week of prayer, we want to go to a topic on prayer. First was relationship. We did relationship last week. And this week, it's duty. And for some people, duty might seem like a dirty word. And some people, you know, it's a relief when it finally comes. But duty is absolutely necessary for us in our discipline, especially when it comes to prayer. You know, if John Piper, I was thinking, if John Piper ever listened to one of my sermons, he'd be so disappointed. He'd just be like, this guy doesn't take anything seriously. But I do. I do, especially when it comes to duty. <clears throat> but I have three points for us today. And you'll have to forgive me, I do have a slight head cold, and so I sound a little nasally. I'll do my best not to sound this way, but I just can't help it. Um, but the three points are priority, desperation, and foundation. Priority, desperation, and foundation. Last week we ended on this point, and the point was corporate prayer. Us and God, all of us and God, corporate prayer. This means that believers cannot opt out of a church community more than a branch can opt out of a vine. And that's what we said last week. And so the question still remained, if this is the case, look, if this is the case, and we are the branch that's connected to the vine, so we're all connected to each other, and you can't opt out of corporate prayer or a community or a church community, and the question is, why don't we prioritize our commitment to corporate prayer? How come we don't prioritize our commitment to corporate prayer? Well, because we just don't think it's that important. And some people make this argument, which I'll address now, in regard, uh, and that is uh, Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, when you pray... Do it in secret. Go into your closet. Don't go to public squares. So, you know what? I don't know about corporate prayer because Jesus himself said you should pray in secret. How do we respond to that? And in fact, um, this, is, uh, this is what Martin Lloyd-Jones says in response to someone who would uh, perhaps bring up this argument. And he says, there are some people who would finally persuade themselves that this, what Jesus said, is a prohibition of all prayer meetings. They say, I do not go to prayer meetings. I pray in secret. 
But it is not a prohibition of prayer meetings. It is not a prohibition of prayer in public, for that is what is taught of God and commended in the scriptures. They are prayer meetings recorded in the scriptures, and they are the very essence and life of the church. That is not what he is prohibiting. And I'll just read that uh, second to last sentence again. There are prayer meetings recorded in the scriptures, and they are the very essence and life of the church. So when it comes in regards to what Jesus is saying to pray in secret, what is Jesus prohibiting? We have to get to the bottom of it. What is the spirit of what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, stop making prayer about you. We have to read this verse in context. Jesus was telling his followers not to pray like the hypocrites. So even if you pray, quote unquote, in secret, if you don't follow what the Bible commands, what are you really doing? What are we really doing? Are we making this even a prayer only about me? There are many people that pray a certain way and say, God, I want you to do this for me. And if you don't, I'll be sorely disappointed. I'll be sad. Or, God, I desperately need your mercy. Please let it show up on my doorstep by tomorrow, 12 noon exactly, on the dot. Uh, I prayed like that too when I was younger. I desperately wanted to get into a good school, and you had to take a test. And this is a story that I fondly share. That's because... In New York City, you had to take an exam to get to uh, a higher or a better school. That, that's what every parent would want for their child. So there was this uh, uh, exam. It was called the SSHSAT, or I called it the Shizat. But <laughs> it, that's, yeah, I was hip back then too. Um, and then we take this test. I didn't study it all for it. And I took the test. I didn't get into the school. And I was so disappointed. I was so disappointed, not at myself. I was so disappointed at God. It's like, God, how can you do this to me? You know, I'm supposed to be your child. You're supposed to give me your blessings. Your mercy is supposed to come. And this is just so disappointing, God. So I, I tell this story. And... What I did, I was just so angry with God. And mind you, I was just a kid in junior high. I was chewing a piece of gum, and I threw it against my bedroom wall, and it just stuck there. And I just said out loud, I said, God, as long as this gum is stuck there, I will never forgive you for this. This is like the most heinous thing that could have ever happened to me. My mom was so disappointed. My dad was disappointed. And, um, yeah, that gum was stuck there for a while. Um, I took the test again and I got in and uh, I remember I think back on it. I think back on how I thought if, I, if this one thing didn't happen, that was God not giving me mercy. If this one thing didn't happen, that means God wasn't showing me his love. And that's how I thought uh, my prayers should be answered. I eventually very meekly uh, climbed up my bedroom wall and I took out the gum and I said, my bad God, 
Um, I don't know what else I could possibly say. I was foolish. But that was when I was a kid. But you see, even as we grow physically and emotionally, spiritually, doesn't necessarily mean we might mature. When we expect mercy to take on a very specific form, it's not mercy we're asking for anymore. When we expect mercy to take on a very specific form, it's not mercy anymore. When I get to dictate to God how God should handle the world, then God isn't God anymore. This first point about priority is that when we start praying, we need to remember that God is God and that what he has in store for us is because God is God and God is love. And sure, some things might happen that we might not expect or may have even feared, but it doesn't mean that God isn't in control. When we say prayer needs to take on a priority, it means that first God is God, but also that we need to see it as best we can from God's perspective. To make prayer a priority changes the way you see things too. John Quincy Adams had a son. His name was Charles Francis. And Charles Francis had another son, Brooke without the E, so don't worry, Brooke. Um, so Charles Francis Adams decided to take his son, Brooke, without the E, fishing. And this is recorded in their journals. Charles Francis Adams wrote in his journal, went fishing with my son today, a day wasted. His son, Brooke Adams, also kept a diary which is still in existence. On that same day, Brooke Adams made this entry. Went fishing with my father, the most wonderful day of my life. The father thought he was wasting his time with his son, but the son saw it as an investment of time. There is a huge difference in how we perceive things and how we go about prayer that will change the way your heart will be as well. So God is showing us here in the scriptures to make prayer a priority. And when we make prayer a priority, what we are really saying is we're making God a priority. And we're trying to see things from God's perspective. <coughs> Excuse me. Excuse me. Next point. Desperation. Verse I want to point out in this one is Genesis chapter 4, verse 26. It says, at the time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And we went over this verse a little bit, but I want to go over it a little more in depth. At that time, people call, began to call upon the name of the Lord. This is the context of this verse. Cain kills Abel. He goes out then and starts building centers and cities. These are places of pride, lust, lawlessness. And you have one of Cain's descendants literally boast about how he killed someone just like Cain. 
And if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech be avenged 77 times. You see this boasting, this pride, and this lust come out in culture, in society, in community centers, in cities, and then Seth is born. In the midst of all this happening, Seth is born. Uh, most, I think everybody here will know, everything these days is just politically charged. So even if I mention something, you automatically have an emotional reaction to it. But I would say as Christians, when you see certain things on the news, when you read certain things about current affairs, emotions are not something that you invest in first. But here's the story. There was a Golden Globes Award ceremony last Sunday, and a famous actress, Meryl Streep, recently and quite famously condemned the president-elect for mocking a disabled reporter from one of the podiums, from the podium in one of his rallies. This received incredible emotionally charged responses from both, and I would say both polar opposite ends of the political spectrum. I see it on my Facebook. You know, if you like Trump, then you took offense to it and you said, you know, I, I've heard different things. And if you don't like Trump, then you were celebrating that. What's the answer? My question is, when I see certain things like that, is how do I have a conversation with someone that doesn't agree with me? How do I even bring them to the table? Or does it even matter? Everything has become politicized in modern times, even things like marijuana use. Our young people are especially inundated with stories of how it's really the drug companies and the rich people that are trying to keep this substance or drug off the counter so they could keep all the money for themselves. We see this in movies where it's played out as something not just recreational, but very entertaining and very soothing. In fact, very positive to use. Nothing bad about it. Why will we keep this away? There must be some kind of conspiracy. The BBC reported that use of marijuana severely stunts brain development in people 25 and younger. Um, more recently, the BBC also uh, reported that um, there was a study done in smoking a stronger form of marijuana. If you guys are interested, like skunk-like marijuana is known to increase the risk of psychosis by three times. Uh, you already have an opinion when I say marijuana. That's the point. You already have a decision that's made instead of listening. When people might ask, well, what's the bottom line? What's the bottom line, Pastor Eugene? Are you for it or against it? That, that wasn't my point. But <clears throat> the Bible does talk about being sober and alert at all times. And it doesn't matter in the bottom, bottom line. Is it doesn't matter if it's from a form of substance or even in some form of food or entertainment that we overindulge ourselves in. We are called to be alert and sober. 
And that's the kind of context or the situation that we are in now. But I would dare say that's not so far from what was going on with Lamech and Cain's society. Where we boast about murder. How do you live in a society like that? Where you boast about hurting people. Impossible. That's what I would say. Impossible. And that's what the children of Seth thought too. Impossible. So what did they do? They decided to call upon the name of the Lord. There was no other way. When you pray, do you realize the desperate state that you are in, that we are in? In Joel 2, chapter 2, verse 32, the minor prophet writes, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see here in Genesis chapter 4, they began to call upon the name of the Lord. And towards the end of the New Old Testament, Joel chapter 2 verse 32 says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter gets up to speak in front of the crowd, he says, Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In Romans chapter 10 verse 13, Paul writes, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This desperation that we have that comes out in prayer, that we have nothing else to turn to, this desperation now has a place and a specific place that we could go to. Why is it that in Joel it says it shall come to pass, and in Romans and in Acts it already came to pass because of the gospel? Because of Jesus, because of Jesus, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That name has been revealed to us, the name Emmanuel. I would hope and think that if I were to ever have the, the honor of advising any leader, state leader, you know, country leader, or any leader at all, company leader, I would say, I would kind of quote Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln wrote this. I have been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for the day. There are times when you face decisions situations that you just don't have an answer for. That no matter what you say, it's going to hurt somebody. What do you do with a decision like that? And especially, I'm especially talking to you leaders out there or people who want to be leaders. Listen up. When you become a leader, the decisions that you make affect more than just yourself. What do you do when you make a decision and it's going to hurt somebody? How do you handle or cope with that? How can you even make a decision like that? How else can we cope by being a, being a leader other than by praying, by going down and to our knees and desperately crying out, 
calling upon the name of Jesus. My last point is foundation. The verse that we read today is very famously quoted also by Jesus himself when he was cleansing the temple. Jesus, when he was cleansing the temple, when he was really angry, I don't know if, if you grew up in church, it's, a, it's almost become a children's story where Jesus is making a whip and he whips people and things and chases people, overturns tables. And I always thought to myself, that is just insane. When I was listening to this growing up in church as well, I, I can only imagine. Imagine Jesus. Because it says he made a whip. So how do you make a whip? Apparently Jesus knew. It's like he's the man. He didn't even know how to make a whip. So he's just sitting there making this whip. <laughs> and that's the thing I imagined in my head. He is so upset, but he is in so, so much control. He's the man. Nothing like a Korean guy, right? If you've, I'm just saying. Um, Korean, when I was younger, Korean men used to have this reputation. Of when you get angry, it's over. It's over. They used to even say the lid is open. The lid is open, translated very roughly, the lid is open, kind of meant that uh, that's it. Nothing. Nothing's going to stop you from destruction in your wake. <laughs> and uh, I kind of experienced that for myself about how when I got angry, I was just surprised. When I was younger, I got angry and all my friends would just leave me. I was just thinking to my head, I thought, you know, I'm angry. Shouldn't people kind of try to console me? But I guess I wasn't that kind of consolable anger. And I had to really pray and fast about anger issues that I also had. But this is different. This isn't something that he couldn't control. It was because he was jealously guarding something, protecting something. What was it? He preaches from Isaiah saying that God's house will be a house of prayer. What is all this selling that's going on? What's all this hoopla in church? This house is supposed to be a house of corporate prayer. You see, this is the foundation of the church that Jesus is talking about. And if you miss the primary objective, the rest doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you do ministry really well. It doesn't matter if we have an incredible welcoming group or if we have amazing media. If this house isn't a house of prayer, then there is no foundation on which everything is on. And so people will naturally ask, how do you pray then? Because I can't pray a long time. And I would say, that's great. I'm glad you can't pray a long time. People who pray way, way too long, I always wonder what they're praying about. What's there to pray about? Is your life that complex? I don't know. So what is there to pray about? How do people pray so long? And this is one advice I give. Why don't you start like this? When you pray, pray the Psalms. But here's the thing about the Psalms. The Psalms were never meant to be prayed alone. The Psalms were meant to be prayed in the house of prayer, out loud, in public. In the book of Acts, corporate prayer is explicitly mentioned 20 times and implicitly even more. As the apostles took the gospel from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, we see that they laid corporate prayer as a foundation for their journey. 
What happens when we lay a foundation of prayer in our church today? In New Testament times, God called all people, the whole church, to pray together. What kind of picture does it produce? It's completely different from way back when. And you see men and women praying together. We see children joining in with their parents, praying together. You saw slaves and masters praying together. You saw Jews and Gentiles, the rich and the poor, the noble and the orphans and the widows, they were praying together. The people that were able, the people that were disabled, they were praying together. New converts, mature converts were praying together. And when they prayed, the Bible says that they prayed in one accord as one. When we gather together, we pray. And you hear this proclamation given from the heavenly throne, Revelations 19.5. Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Prayer is so important, but do we believe it? D.L. Moody, possibly one of the most influential evangelists and definitely one of the most popular and uh, well-known evangelists of the 19th century, said this, I'd rather be able to pray than be a great preacher. Mind you, this is a man who everybody thought was the greatest preacher in his time. And he said, I'd rather be able to pray than be a great preacher. Jesus Christ never taught his disciples how to preach, but only how to pray. Do you want our church to succeed or to even know what it might look like? Hudson Taylor says this, the prayer power has never been tried to its full capacity. If we want to see mighty wonders of divine power and grace wrought in the place of weakness, failure, and disappointment, let us answer God's standing challenge. Call to me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. We are called to stand out from the rest of the world and called to call upon God. What makes us stand out from the rest of the world? Jude says, but you beloved building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Jude implores the church to pray and that was the mark that would separate them from the godlessness that surrounded them. This foundation is so important because if you don't have it, I don't know what else you could build on it. It reminds me of, anytime there's a foundation story, it reminds me of the Tower of Pisa. And this is a tower that was built, and now it's called the Leaning Tower of Pisa. But of course, as you all know, it was never meant to lean. Pisa, I think, means marsh or swamp. And so that foundation was only just yay deep. I don't know exactly how much, but it wasn't deep enough. And so it started to lean. And now we know it as the Leaning Tower of Pisa. If they left it alone in 2017, it would have collapsed entirely. But uh, 2007, sorry. 2007, it would have collapsed ent entirely. So in 2000, 2001, they started a renovation project. And that was to reinforce the structure, to fix everything they could. It became a tourist attraction because it was leaning. But the amount of effort 
And the amount of money to restore everything that was broken and breaking was tremendous, is tremendous. Because the towers meant, not, never meant to lean, the walls were cracking, the ground was breaking, and they had to restore everything because it was such a high, high in-demand tourist attraction. If you don't have a good foundation, you'll start seeing cracks and you'll start seeing the walls breaking, the ground cracking. This is what Jesus is saying. He wants our church, he wants his house to be a house of prayer. We bow our heads at the dinner table. Yes, we bow our heads before we sleep at night, yes. And yes, we pray in public and corporate worship. We were called to be a praying people. So let's pray at this time. And I want to invite you into this time to pray. And ask yourselves this. Is it a priority? Do you have desperation? Is it foundational to your life, your spiritual walk? and to this church's foundation. And as we test ourselves in these matters, I would ask that you pray and ask God, just as Jairus did, to help an unbelieving heart, to give us faith so that we may realize how important this is and what God calls us to do. And may I remind you once again, everyone, who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray at this time.
my brothers and my sisters as the church gathered we have laid a foundation and we are called to lay a foundation of prayer so that as we scatter we can proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth from our communities to our neighbors all the way to the countries far away with the gospel of Jesus Christ and now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forever. Amen. Amen.